All right, good evening. Thank you, worship team, once again for leading us in a time of praise, a, a sweet time together. If you could open your Bibles to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to hit Romans a couple times. I know you guys are in Romans right now, and I really hope I'm not doing some toe-stepping. But I feel like Romans 1 was probably a while ago. It was a bit ago, but we're in Romans 1. Let's read together. I'll, I'll, I'll read Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. It says, for I, no, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations that for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray together. Dear God, once more, as we approach your word, and in particular, as we approach a heavy passage, we ask God that you would help us to understand, help our hearts and eyes 
of our hearts to be open, to see you as you truly are, to see ourselves as you see us, as we truly are. Grant us a humble heart to receive this word. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time we talked this morning, we were talking about how God created us. God created us. He defines who we are. He defines what we are to do. And the main point that we saw this morning is that what God thinks of us is really what matters. The question we should ask is, what does God think of us? And so we should stop asking, what do others think? What do I think? We should ask, what does God think of us, of me? And so we're going to start now. We're just making our slow journey up the mountain, one step at a time. The next step we're on here is not a pretty picture. The first thing we see about ourselves is not a very pretty picture. Um, We see that we are corrupt. That's the first answer. God sees us as corrupt. I don't know if you know what the word spurned means. I don't know if everyone in the room, the little kids, know what the word spurned means. Uh, But to spurn or to be spurned uh, is not just to reject someone, but it's to reject someone with the intent to hurt them. It's like a mean rejection. Uh, It's when someone invites you to their birthday party and you kind of don't want to go, maybe. The polite thing would be to say, oh, I think I've got something scheduled that day. I don't know if I can make it. That's maybe a polite refusal. But a a, a spurning would say, uh, I wouldn't be caught dead at your party. Uh, I I would never go to your party. Why would you even invite me? (laughs) That's that's spurning. Um, A group of friends is hanging out, laughing, having fun. Someone else wants to join. Say, hey, can I can I join? And they say, you can never join our reindeer games. All right, <laughs> you can never play our reindeer games. Or you maybe you want you prepare something very nice for your friend's birthday. You stay up late baking monkey bread. I hear is popular here. My daughter's made it a few times. I hear there's a competition. I won't say who won. Um, but you you stay up late making monkey bread. And then you prepare it, and your, your, your friend, so-called, spits it out and, like, stamps it down with their feet. You write a nice card, and they, like, rip it up in your face. That, that's spurning, all right? Don't do that to your friends. But we're not talking about, like, joking around or playing. Spurning is rejecting someone with the intent, with the intent to hurt. And spurning hurts more the closer the relationship is, Right? The closer someone is to you that does this, the more it hurts. If I'm just walking down a street, the street, and a random guy walks up to me and says, I think you're an idiot, I'd say, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry you think that, but I have no idea who you are. That would not hurt my feelings very much uh, because there's no relationship. If my wife would never do this, but if my wife were to say, I think you're an idiot, like that would hurt more, um, just so you know. She would never she would never do that. Um, and so that's the concept I want us to think about, spurning. This is spurning. And we this is what we have done to God. I want to talk about sin tonight, and it's a serious passage. We're talking about spurning from the perspe- sin from the perspective of spurning God. Um, 
God made a universe, is what we saw last night, right? This morning. God made a universe so that he could make people in the universe, us, so that we could know him. And he made us particularly in his image. And we have turned against him. And sin, sometimes we think of sin as merely legal. Like we've broken some commandments. And that's true. That is what it is. We think of it as legal, as as formal. But some statutes, we broke some statutes in a book somewhere, a rule book. But that's not all it is. It is also personal. And the result of it is corruption. Okay? So that's what we're going to see tonight. We have all spurned God's love and are thus corrupt. We have spurned God's love and are thus corrupt. So we'll see two things, what we did, and second, what it did. So first, what we did. Verses 19 to 23, we spurned God's love. Sometimes we, 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 re- we might read Genesis chapter 1, and read about the temptation of Eve and, and the fall, and we think, what's the big deal? It was just an apple, or whatever fruit it was. It doesn't say an apple. Whatever fruit it was, what's the big deal? And the, the big deal is not the apple. It wasn't the fruit, right? It was the rejection of the commandment maker more than it was the breaking of the commandment. Does that make sense? It was turning against the commandment maker more than it was just the breaking of a particular commandment. Spurning, like we said, starts out with a relationship. You have to have a relationship, and we do, in fact. Like it or not, we all have a relationship with God. We all know God. Some people say, like, what God? What are you talking about? How can I spurn a God that I never know? Similar example, like we're walking down the street, maybe I'm, I'm in Pete's Coffee, Pete's Coffee, uh, in line, someone walks up and just like slaps me in the face and says, how dare you? I will never forgive you. You'd <laughs> um, say, I'm sorry? I can't really apologize for something I don't know that I did. Well, how have I offended you? Who are you? I don't think we've met before. And some people think this way of God. Like Christians come up and say, you've sinned against God. And they say, what God? I don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. What are we talking about here? Um, how, can I, how can I sin against a God that I don't really know? But the Bible doesn't really give us that choice. It actually says we all know God. Every single person in the world knows God. Look back at, at chapter 1, verse 19. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain. It's obvious. How is it obvious? God has shown it to them. Uh, God speaks pretty clearly. God doesn't stutter. And it says he, he, he showed us. He, he made it plain to us. He, made, he showed it to us. How did he do it? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. And so God says, everyone, God in his word says, everyone knows God. No one can say, I don't know God. Because deep down, we do 
we do know there is a God. What do we know about him? We at least know two things, his eternal power and his divine nature. How do we know it? Through the things that were made. The point is that there is a world, right? There is a world that exists, and it came from somewhere. It didn't come from nowhere. Um, stuff, matter, did not come from nowhere. Matter itself cannot be eternal. Matter decays. It had to come from somewhere, uh, somewhere outside the material world, enter God. God is the one who had to have created this world. God is himself not made of matter. He is supernatural. He is outside the natural world. And therefore, the same rules don't apply to him that he had to be created because he is not material. Uh, and this is not cheating. Some people say, ah, well, then who created God? And this is the difference between a naturalist and a supernaturalist. A naturalist says all that exists, all that is material is all that has ever existed. Well, then you have to explain where the material came from. And when we say God is himself not part of the creation, he is spirit, he is not made of stuff, not made of matter, we are being consistent. And so the, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1 is that the world, the fact that the world exists, this ridiculously vast universe exists, when we, we've learned about it more and more, like in recent years, just how amazingly humongous, unfathomably large the universe is, it is to teach us. The thing we should learn from that is there is a God who exists. He has eternal power to create such a huge world, and he is uh, his divine nature. He's outside of the world so much that Paul can say it's plain. This is this is obvious. And if we, if we don't, and he says we are without excuse. We are without excuse. We know enough about God to know that we're accountable, that we exist as a gift by his generosity. We know enough to know that we should worship him. He is worthy of our worship, that we owe him our allegiance. We owe him thanks. But look at verse 18. It says that we, by our unright, the latter half of verse 18, by our unrighteousness, we suppress this truth. So what I'm not saying, and we shouldn't think, that atheists are like lying to us. They're not saying like, I don't believe in God. Actually, I really do. I hope they don't find out that I'm lying to them. They're not like uh, split personality. What we're saying is that they, they have convinced themselves. It says we suppress the truth. We have convinced ourselves in our own minds that we really believe this. Uh, and it's something that, because we want to think it so badly. Have you ever done this? Have you ever convinced yourself of something that it was a good thing, even though maybe it really wasn't the right thing? Like there's a plate of cookies, and there's one. There's one cookie. And you think to yourself, well, there's one cookie. If I leave this cookie, that would be bad. Because then there will be a big group of people, and they'll all argue about the cookie. And then, then I should just eat the cookie. I would be serving everyone by preventing the argument of them wanting the cookie, so I'll just eat the cookie. And that's a good thing. So I'm serving everyone. I'm going to eat the cookie. right? We have convinced ourselves something is true, and we have suppressed the truth 
in unrighteousness in eating that cookie. The point is that we don't have a knowledge problem. We have a heart problem. We sometimes think, surely, if someone knew God clearly, they would believe. If someone knew God this plainly, they would totally respond in the right way. If someone could walk with God in, for example, I don't know, like a garden somewhere, then there's no way they would ever disobey God, right? If they could see, right? Yeah, no. Adam and Eve did that. They could see God. They walked with God. We saw uh, yesterday night how the Pharisees, they knew that this was the Messiah in front of them. And they said, no, we're not going to believe in him because we don't want to get kicked out of our club. (laughs) We want to belong. It's not a knowledge problem. It's a heart problem. And so we should know that ultimately the world knows that there's a God. You here tonight, you know, deep in your heart, you know there is a God. Even if it's something you're struggling with, you know it's true. We exist. God made us. He deserves all honor and all worship, and we know this, but we've spurned him. Verse 21, look at what it says. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but uh, they became futile in their thinking. Verse 23, what did they do? What did we do? We exchanged the glory of the immortal God images so we're talking about sin but we're talking it from about from the perspective of being of spurning not just a legal matter again but a personal thing we have spurned god we have rejected him we have exchanged his glory we should not think of sin simply as like i stole some pens from work or i stole some pens from my brother you know who you are Right. Uh, that, that's not all it is. It's a level deeper. It's a problem in our hearts. And the problem in our hearts is that we've rejected the love of God. God created us and we spurned him. It's, verse 23 is what I really want us to focus in on. He says, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So we exchanged. We had one thing and then we swapped it for a different thing. There was a, an exchange that happened. What did we have before? What did Adam and Eve, even, Adam and Eve have in the original creation? Right? It says, that, what did they have? The glory of the immortal God. Glory is a word that we, we use a lot sometimes as Christians. Just to understand what, what glory is, glory is a word that describes all that is wonderful about God. Like the sum total of everything that's good about him, we use the word glory to describe that. Uh, his love, his truth, his justice, his power, his eternity, his self-sufficiency, his kindness. If you'd wrap all of it up into one word, it's glory. All that is great, all that is good about God in one word is glory. If God were the sun, his glory is the very brightness of the sun. It's the thing that blinds our eyes um, because of his greatness. And it says the immortal God, the word is, it means like incorruptible. His glory does not decay. It does not run out of batteries. He, He is glorious forever. And this is what he gave to us. He says, you have unfettered access, complete access 
to the, the glory of the immortal God. We could have been with him forever, worshiping him, enjoying him, loving him. That's exactly why he created us, to share himself with us in this way. He opened his arms wide to us. And what did we choose instead? Images. Images. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Images representing mortal, corruptible, decaying man. Images of birds, animals, and creeping things. And thus, the meme was born. (laughs) Even back then, we chose images. Imagine someone says, congratulations, you've won a trip to Hawaii, Disneyland, or like whatever trip you want to go on, your dream vacation. Here's your, here's your trip uh, to Hawaii. And you're like, nah, can you just show me a picture of a bird or something? Like, I'm good. <laughs> That's all I want. I don't need paradise. I just want to see a couple pictures, maybe some creeping things, maybe some birds. I don't know. Like that's that's crazy. That's what we did. God God made us in his image, but then we got stuck staring at the mirror. And, and we, we left reality. We tossed aside reality. We have spurned all that God is, the good gift that he gave to us. We don't honor him as God. We don't give thanks to him. How exactly do we choose images over God? Because sometimes people do actually worship the creation, like today. Uh, We used to live in Taiwan. We lived there for about four years. And in Taiwan, there's a fair number of actual temples. We don't see this very much in America. But outside of America, it's a bit more common. But we'd be walking down the streets, and like, oh, there's a temple. Walking down the street from where, oh, there's another temple. Uh, When a new business opens, they've got a little can, trash can thing, ash can, outside on the sidewalk and they're burning paper money and there's a table set out with fruits and they're offering sacrifices uh, all the time. This is all over the place. And uh, looking for help with their marriage, to get married, for exams. There's like different spirits that you go to, different gods you go to, um, or ancestors or, or whatever. We also had the privilege once of visiting Mexico and we got to see Chichen Itza this amazing structure, an amazing place, but where there were sacrifices there of people to gods. And it was it was sort of crazy just to stand there and, and see these things. But this is real. <laughs> the people worshipped the creation, uh, worshipped the sun, worshipped planets, worshipped animals. Um, modern folk, or at least America, we do this a bit differently. You might ask, like, what have we replaced God with here? What do we worship God, worship instead of God here? A better question might be, what haven't we? <laughs> what haven't we replaced God with here in America? Uh, sports, vacation, education, competition, status, relationships, video games, freedom, uh, ruling your own destiny, <laughs> all, all sorts of things. Ask yourself this question. The thing that I most cannot live without is what? How would you complete that sentence? The thing that I most cannot live without is what? Or for me, the most important thing to pursue in life is fill in the blank. Or if I don't 
whatever, then I'd rather just die. I'd rather just die. And for many of us, it's people. People have some parts of that equation. People that we worship. Maybe it's ourselves. We think we're pretty great. Maybe it's others. And so what does that sound like? That sounds like the fear of man, right? That's what we've been talking about. We've replaced the glory of the immortal God with people. If you could turn, you're in Romans. Let's turn up to chapter 10 in Romans. Romans 10, verse 21. He says there, I love this, this picture of God. He's describing himself and how in his relationship to Israel, his people who have continually turned against him. It says, of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is, this is God's heart towards the world, towards the lost. His, Israel in particular, yes, but them as a, as a picture of the whole world. This is God standing, arms stretched out, inviting his people, inviting the world. And we are turning against him personally. This is not just a command in a rule book. This is God is standing, my arms stretched out wide, and you are turning against him personally when we sin. Let's turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2.13. God says, My people have committed two evils. It's been more than two, by the way. But these two are like the summary two. These include everything. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And here's number two hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is how God described all of Israel's uh, rejection of him over the years. It says these two things, really. They turned away from me, the fountain, to, to run after buckets. <laughs> broken buckets that, that can't even hold water. Um, at the heart, that's what this boils down to. We should hear in this and here exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. If you could turn with me to Hosea as well. Hosea chapter 11 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. I don't know how familiar you are with it. It's one of the most emotional, I think, chapters from God, if you can use that word emotional, in the Bible. Hosea 11. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offering to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. 
that's a judgment, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like, I'm going to say Sodom and Gomorrah here, because those are cities nearby, Adma, Adma and Zeboim. He says, how can I treat you like Sodom? How can I treat you like Gomorrah? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst, I will not come in wrath. He says, I'm not going to judge you because I'm God, because I'm merciful. But do you hear just the intense emotion from God in these words? Like a dad teaching his kid how to walk, holding his hands. Like a, a husband caring for, in this context of Hosea, caring for his unfaithful wife, providing for her even as she left him. God yearns for his creation. God made us so that we would know him and love him. I want you to hear how personal sin is. We've spurned him. And what, what did that do to us? Back to Romans. What did that do to us? It left us corrupt. Corrupt. Verse 22. Romans 1.22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It left us corrupt in our minds, corrupt in our, our desires, and corrupt in our deeds. It says we became fools. It left us corrupt in our minds. Futile thinking. Our hearts were darkened. We became fools. We thought we were wise. It didn't say we we did foolish stuff. It says we became fools. The Bible teaches us that, that something changed in humanity when Adam and Eve sinned. Our hearts, like Jose said, were bent. They became bent towards sin. Um, this affects our minds. This affects the way we think. We like to think that we're rational, independent thinkers, but we're not. Our minds are bent. Uh, we, we convince ourselves to believe things all the time that we, we want to believe. Things like coffee's good for you. right? There's so many studies that say coffee's actually good for you. Um, or video games are great for teaching you hand-eye coordination. I told my parents that so many times. It's got to be true, right? <laughs> I, hope, I hoped it was. I'm not sure if it was. Um, but my, my mind was, our minds can be bent towards things that we want to believe. Psalm 14:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So like we said earlier, just because I think a thought doesn't make it true. Just because I think a thought doesn't make it true. Just because a thing doesn't make sense doesn't make it wrong. Just because I don't understand. So our, our minds are bent. Our minds need to be renewed by his word because they have a natural bent. Also, our desires are corrupt. Uh, three times in this section, verse 24, verse 26, 28, it said God gave us up. 
What a sad, serious, sobering phrase. God handed us over to our desires. God let sin run its course in our lives. He allows us sometimes, doesn't he, to see the consequences of our choices and how it ruins the lives of ourselves, people around us, some of us more so than others. But uh, sin affects our desires. It leads to a debased heart, not just our thoughts, but what we want. made me think of, of addictions. I had a close family member who struggled with the drug addiction uh, for about 10 years. And it's, it's scary, you know? Drugs you can get addicted to that change what you want, change your body, change your mind to pursue this thing at all costs to the detriment of uh, everyone around them to, to pursue this habit. And it's hard to watch. Uh, you, you know, you love this individual, whoever it is, uh, son, daughter, brother, sister. You want to care for them, provide a home for them. But a lot of times what it takes to get off of these serious addictions is, they say, to hit rock bottom. Uh, kick them out of the home, be homeless, hand them over. Let them experience the full weight of that, uh, that sin, the full depth of where that will take them so that they would wake up and, and turn. And that's, it's saying that's what God did to us. God, God handed us over. He kicked us out of the house so that we would experience the full weight of what we had done. And sin is, is ugly. It leads to impurity. I, I find it interesting and fascinating and helpful just how, how quickly a rejection of God leads to impurity. Sexual impurity is what Paul goes to here in verse 24. He says, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And I, I want you guys to see this. There's a direct, a direct correlation between the rejection of God, exchanging his glory, and, and with impurity, with sexual impurity. Um, this passage is an immensely hopeful one. As a younger man uh, who struggled then often with the battle for purity, this passage is one that, that really helped me in putting that sin to death, to see that it is a rejection of God's glory. It is the exchange of God's glory. And he's talking here, he talks about homosexuality, but we shouldn't limit it to that. Guys pursuing girls immorally and girls pursuing guys is just as debased as what he's talking about here. Guys pursuing guys and girls pursuing girls. Either way, guys pursuing images. Uh, this is exchanging God's glory. It is, a, it is a spurning of him. It is idolatry. The things that we want, friends, are just often wrong. Our desires are just wrong. Uh, we think of the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. That was the one of the Ten Commandments that was specifically talking about our hearts, of what we should not desire in our hearts. Uh, but we, we covet, right? Coveting is, is a wrong desire, wanting something that belongs to someone else. And whatever it is, we might covet uh, someone else's family, personality, looks, home, games, grades, job, friends, car. We might wish for all sorts of different things. But what God has given you is what God has given you. So 
So uh, when I want it turns to I need it, then we've turned to coveting. Our desires are twisted. Our minds are corrupt. Our desires are corrupt. And our deeds are corrupt. Uh, He ends here at verse 28 to 32, just walking through a whole list of a whole bunch of different ways that we go astray here. Uh, We won't read them all again, but uh, we can find ourselves in there somewhere, I think. We all can. We know God's command. We know the consequences, and we we disregard it. We not only do things, look at verse uh, 30, 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, we knew the consequences. They not only do them, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Right? There are plenty of people around you that will give hearty approval to, to you following them into sin. As we think about our topic and fear of man and peer pressure, this is intimately related to that. There will be people that will encourage you, accept you into their group, exhort you to sin towards pleasures. Affirmation and recognition are not always a good thing. So we need to find ourselves rooted in God's word, not following the crowd, because Romans 1.32 says the crowd's going the really wrong way. (laughs) Uh, We need to not sit with the scoffers like Psalm 1, and not sit with the scoffers, not stand in the way with the scoffers, uh, but to dwell in God's word. And so this is a sobering picture. But he says this is our condition. This is... This is our condition. Our mind is darkened, our desires are twisted, and our deeds are corrupt. Our mind has exchanged God's glory for images, truth for a lie, reality for for virtual reality, as it were. And this this is what we are like from the moment that we are born up until we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, right? The Bible talks about regeneration. We, we read Ephesians 2 earlier. Uh, we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed to be made alive again in Christ. The Bible calls that regeneration. We needed that because we were dead. We were corrupt. So my question for you tonight is, is this how you think of yourself? Have you ever thought of yourself this way as corrupt? Because I've spurned the love of God, I'm lost. For some of you, this is where you are now. For some of you, this is your past. This is who you were before you came to know Christ. So the question is, where are you now? For those of you who have believed in Christ here tonight, this is no longer true about us, ultimately. This is no longer what defines us. But, as Hebrews 12 says, this sin, this corruption, it can cling so closely, doesn't it? It's always with us, even in our best moments. our, Our previous corruption is still nearby. But if you have not yet believed in Christ, do you realize, have you come to know that this is your condition? You're corrupt. Sometimes we we focus more on how others have sinned against us. We say, well, other people have hurt me too. But that's a fraction of how we have offended God. We've offended him infinitely more. And this this is an important building block 
understanding our corruption is an important building block to our, our, our theme and our topic of the fear of man. If we don't get that this is our natural state uh, before God, then we won't get what's next, which is being rooted in God's love. There's no being rooted in God's love without first acknowledging our corruption, understanding that we have been rescued out of the pit, understanding the state that we were in when he loved us. That's when he loved us. When we were this way, turning against him, he was standing with arms open wide to us. We must know that sin is personal and that we spurned him. So answering the question, what does God think of me? The answer tonight is he thinks of me as created, but he also thinks of me as corrupt. In Christ, that's previously corrupt. Uh, But the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? It It changes all of this. It's hard to... The focus here is on, on corruption, but we can't stop there. Uh, we have to go on to, to the gospel. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen? Has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We need to see that we're hopeless and lost so that we can sing you are my only hope as we just did my only hope is you the good news of the gospel is that god has made a way to rescue us to rescue you from our corruption from our guilt from the death that verse 32 says we deserve to die he made a way to rescue us and if you know christ then you know that all of this is behind you this is your past and you can say with no shame, yes, that was me. I was corrupt, and he rescued and saved me. And if not, then you should know tonight that this is your presence. And the rest of the treat, the rest of this retreat, and the rest of the messages won't apply as directly, but will be a thing to look forward to that you can have in knowing Christ. There is a way out, but you've got to grasp this part and understand that we're dying, so you can ask for God to rescue. And to save. He stands ready to receive you. He stands, he says, with his arms outstretched all day long. And so consider this tonight. All right? Let's pray. Dear God, as we reflect on this passage and the seriousness of what your word says about us, our hearts are, are humbled. And we just ask, God, that you would help us to hear this passage truly. That all here would know and, and, and agree with what your word says is true about us. That yes, we have spurned you. We were corrupt. And I pray then that everyone here would come to know the forgiveness, the hope that is in Christ. To know the joy of being rooted in your love. We ask for your help, God. And we ask that you would do a work in our hearts by your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.